<laughs> you sure you don't want to use any of this? <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, <laughs> first of all, welcome one and all to the 100th episode of Lexical Tones. Yay! Andrew, Martin Smith, and I are just going to go through some of our favorite moments uh, from the first 100 episodes. I am so excited. Yeah, and maybe maybe talk about the future of Lexical Tones. I don't know. The future? Um, The future. We're we're not just giving up after 100? (laughs) (laughs) There always is that option. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, so you're... You're, before we get to that, let's, you know, Andrew and I, we're going to catch up. Um, so you're going to SEI in like, what, a few hours? Or Yeah, so <laughs> so I, I leave for the airport in probably six and a half hours. Oh, yeah. you've got plenty of time. Yeah, if I stay up and do all the things I have to do, yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> all right, so... Uh, this past weekend, I was just at Seamus. Yes. And, uh, so we, I, you know, at Seamus, the next uh, few episodes that the listeners are going to hear are my uh, interviews from Seamus, and then after that, I think we're going to hear some interviews from the SCI National Conference, where yes, Andrew we are, and Jamie. Yep. And who else is going to be there? Uh, Annie Nykirk uh, is going to be there, um, as well as Jessica Rudman. Um, actually, I think, yeah, yeah. There's a there's just a boatload of people who are going to be there. Um, awesome. That, that I kind of want to catch up with and uh, hopefully get a chance to snag a few people post concert to just to just. To say, I'm, I'm pretty sure is Car- I'm pretty sure Carter Rice is going to be there. Oh man, you're going to hear Carter several times in the next episodes. Then it's going to be so good, <laughs> including this one. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Oh, in a big way, from what I understand. <laughs> oh yeah, big way. Um, so so when I went to Seamus, we had to leave the house to drive up to Columbus to get on our to get to our flight. We had to leave the house at two thirty in the morning. Yep, yep, been there. And the plan was, I was gonna, you know, I was gonna sleep for like three hours. You know, one REM cycle, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe feel better. Uh, a- after that, I tried my damnedest, could not fall asleep. <laughs> of course. Could not, it was like, oh, it's Christmas. It's Seamus. Let's go. Yay. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I was so dead that. Day. So basically, you know, I didn't, uh, and, you know, we got to Boston, got, to, went right into the festival, you know, went from airport to, uh, to venue and right into a concert and nice. actually actually right into a podcast first but um <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was doing podcasts before concerts after concerts during dinner you know just uh in in the room you know yeah yeah it was uh it was very fun anyway so well uh so yeah have fun at sci talk to a bunch of people interview a lot of people and bring uh bring those pieces you heard to the to the podcast because that's yeah. uh that's that's what's kind of super fun for me because on the Seamus one I mm-hmm. you know other than the collective members we really don't re-feature any anyone that we've already uh had a you know a long solo podcast with right yeah 
And um, the, I think that those are the great opportunities for for us, you know, as adjective members and and podcast hosts to kind of check back in with the people that we talked to a while ago and see what they're up to. And, you know, so those uh, those festival things are, I don't know, they're pretty cool. They're pretty yeah, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll do some conference hopping. This will be exciting. What it just means is that adjective is everywhere. Just, yes, yes. Like a lichen. <laughs> a lichen? I don't know. I have you no couldn't idea. come up with anything else? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> on that note. Oh, <laughs> man, it's a good note. I'm not even drinking. <laughs> I know. Um, so let's, uh, let's start, uh, talking about some of these favorite moments that we've had from the first hundred episodes. Uh, uh, we'll start with this one that, uh, I had with, uh, Jessica Mays and this was on episode 76 and you know, this, the part that you are about to hear, you've never heard before because it happened, it happened before we actually you know, we really started the interview. And this happens quite a lot when I, when, especially when I'm talking to someone that I'm just meeting for the podcast. I mean, you know, the podcast started with basically all the adjective members and even some of, even some of us I had never really met before. But right. then it quickly got into, well, who else? I'm just going to get, you know, I'm going to talk to my friends because they're mm-hmm. my friends. I like them. I like, you know, I think they're cool composers and everything. But at a certain point, you, you know, you get through all your friends and you're like, well, yeah, you run out of friends eventually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, you, I, I start looking for new people to feature on the podcast and very often it's the first conversation I've ever had with them. Mm-hmm. And there, there have been a couple uh, on the podcast where it was it was the most fun best first conversation I'd ever had with anyone either in in you know digitally or in real life hmm. and and I thought I thought uh, talking to Jessica Mays was was one of those it was just so fun to talk to her and it seemed like um, right off the bat uh, we were you know it would it would just be an easy conversation so the part of the interview that no one has ever heard before is actually from the 30 minutes that we chatted before we started doing the interview. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and in this, we, uh, I, uh, we, st- we started talking about China and I mean, I can go on about China for a while, but she had just visited there and, you know, she was telling me about her travels and, 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 and all this other all the food she ate and all this other stuff. And I just thought it'd be fun to kind of have this represent what normally happens on a yeah. podcast. Usually we talk for, you know, a while before we even get to it. And I think that, uh, that it really comes through just how, how easy this conversation was after that. So, uh, let's listen to this. This is uh, a couple different clips from the, the, the pre interview, if you want, uh, from Jessica Mays' podcast, episode 76, which has never been heard before. Anyway, yeah, it was my first time in Asia. How'd you like it? Like a, it, was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it's very different. Oh, yeah. It's very, yeah. very what'd different. You, what'd you eat? What was the favorite thing you ate? While oh, you were man. All of the dumplings. Yeah. It's all about the dumplings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, there was a... The thing is, I didn't have, like, a, a buddy. Well, that's it. I don't have friends. <laughs> no, I mean, like, when I wasn't with John, and if I were just going out on the town by myself, I'm just yeah. like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I don't know Chinese. I don't mm-hmm. know how to read it. So I would just walk into places mm-hmm. and point. And I would be yeah. like, tonight's just going to be a surprise. I have no idea what that is. It looks I mean- like pork. And it's not. It's not pork. Like it's some sort of root or like a fungus. It's like yeah. it's some sort of mushroom that's delicious. Mm-hmm. Like I was yeah. never not happy. I was never not happy. Yeah. That and some of the, we had a couple interns with the, the Shanghai VYC program because we have affiliate programs all over the world. Oh, okay. And yeah, they did the very, very generous, th- generous thing of taking us out. Mm-hmm. But for like mm-hmm. full on meals where there's like multiple courses, like the food just keeps coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It's, the it's food like never a, stops. It coming. just, it never stops. Like we were at just this round table and there's like the, the, the Chinese la- equivalent of Susan. the lazy Susan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of different dishes of things where it's just like, hey, it's some kind of a shrimp. It's some kind of a fungus. Not fungus. Mm-hmm. That sounds awful. Some no, but a, but but you, you are know, right. Like but that's it. That's but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, With you you want to say mushroom, but did you have the like? Um, they it is it is a fungus. It's it's uh, it's black, and they're kind of like. It doesn't take the traditional shape of a mushroom at all. They're they're does it kind have of tentacles. Sorry. Do they have like tentacles a little bit? No. Do they have like roots everywhere? Like, no, no. Um, it's uh, how do you describe it? It's like, I mean, you could like flatten these things out. Usually, they're they're kind of wrinkly a bit, but they're they're completely black. They're a little bit like, hmm. Usually, they're served cold. So yeah, there was what I think were like palate cleanser type. Mm-hmm. Dishes that came around at first or in between mm-hmm. main meals. Yeah. And there was something like that, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple different mushroom fungus type dishes. There was one where I think it was like, I think they said it was a date. Okay. But the one you like, were talking about earlier. It was like gelatin. Earlier. It was like in a shell, but it was chewy. And they're like, yeah, it's a date. And I'm like, okay. I don't, I don't know how the nut turned into that. Like, maybe I don't know what dates are. Like, I'm like questioning well, foods that date, I had before. Do they are they but, soft usually? Maybe I they've thi- never had a date before. Um, yeah, I think so. I think it's kind of like a fruit. Okay, I, maybe this is my first time having. Maybe a date. I mean, have you ever have you ever seen uh, the the first Indiana Jones movie? Yeah, the one where they're like ending, eating Indian food, but it's like, it's monkey brains. No, that's the second one. Okay. <laughs> it's not Indian food. <laughs> I love Indian food. I was, I but took offense. In, in that they- movie, in that movie, they're in, um, I think they're in Egypt and yeah. uh, they're eating dates and they look like some, they, hmm. They they kind of look like elongated grapes, but they're a little bit bigger. But it looks like it looks clearly like a fruit. Like these were like I think so, they were yeah. like 
nickel size. And it, it was yeah. like black on the outside, but the shell is slightly open and there was like this clear... See, here's the thing, because it's totally foreign food to me, I can't uh -huh. tell if my brain is remembering things in a very abstract form where it's just like, right. it was like hovering in the air and there was like oozing. It was amazing. <laughs> you know, like, like, I don't know what's real anymore. Like, yeah. there were so many things that were very different than what I'm used yeah. to, but it was, it was fantastic. Like, I, I could just, yeah. I want to go back. I had um, fried eel for the first time, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which was just... Like the and it, like the Shanghainese delicacies, like mm -hmm. that they have that are specific to that city. Because I was like, "Is there a way I can find this in New York City?" And they're like, "No, I think it's just here." And I'm like, "Well, shoot." The the quality of living, unless you're, I'm talking about just the city, you know, like living. Yeah, in Shanghai, yeah, totally. It seems like it's it's pretty. The quality of living is pretty high. Um, but you don't have any be. choice. You don't yeah. have any choices. Is the thing that you're missing. That's yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, I took I took the Shanghai Metro once a week for a year yeah. and, you know, had to do basically had to do like several transfers and everything. I will say it is very consistent. And that's that's one of its best things. But if you're going at I don't know if you ever used it at like rush, truly hour? rush hour. No, I mean you have you you have your body that's your personal space i like, mean i'm on the subway system here during rush hour and it's the same thing though really oh like, yeah like literally you have someone this close to you yes okay yeah All i've right. i've had my purse clearly up against somebody's back or butt and i'm like please i'm not actually filling you up i just <laughs> i'm smashed up against you i yeah. promise you, <laughs> you know? yeah and there yeah, was... like just completely huddled in. Okay. It might be on a different level though, because there there are far more people, I believe, in Shanghai than there. Yeah. There is in New York yeah. City. Yeah. I so. mean, like there. I well, I'll, I'll give you an example. This wasn't on the Shanghai Metro. It was actually on a bus, but it was equally um, equally bad. Like I was kind of in the middle of the bus, and since I like. Obviously, you can't tell right now, but I'm six four, so I'm like I tower oh, over, yeah, yeah, I tower over everyone in China. Yeah, so that actually is, works to my benefit because like my head is kind of up <laughs> over everyone, so I can kind of escape uh, a little bit. <laughs> but I was on a bus, and um, I was I like was in the middle of this just mass of people, and I was too far away to like have a handhold. And it didn't matter because I wasn't going anywhere. Like we were packed in so tight that we all just kind of moved collectively as the bus like yeah. made turns and everything. It was crazy. <laughs> it was absolutely crazy. But anyway, yeah, I could go on a, a, about China for a long time, but we should <laughs> we should get to the podcast. <laughs> so anyway, nice talking to you. Have yeah, a right. Night. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, the next clip here, and I, I kind of like how we sort of came to to decide about these clips because uh, a number of us actually kind of weighed in in terms yeah. of our our favorite kind of lexical tones moments. Um, and I, I have to say, a lot of my favorites really really do kind of revolve around the overdrinks. Yeah, they're um, really fun. 
I mean, even though I end up being the the beer of all jokes, um, <laughs> in, instead of the butt, I it try I tried to make it work. I don't think it I don't think no. it landed. But neither do my beer selections. So I they think really it's very don't. Fitting. Hashtag bad beer Andy. Hashtag poor life choices Smith. <laughs> um, and I I also so so I really I I, I submitted an awful lot of uh, of over drinks uh, choices and and you actually selected a number of these which I'm which I'm excited about. I think uh, was was I think this this next one is actually one of the ones that I put forward. Was it the uh, the over drinks where we discussed uh, Lainey Lilios's uh, piano and electronic piece, um, Nostalgic Visions? Yeah, that was actually the first over drinks. And I think that was episode 15 uh, yep. for the listeners who want to kind of look back at, at that particular overdrinks. And it, it, the thing that I find so amusing, uh, there's, there's so many, there's so many things, but uh, you know, in, in the clip that we're about to hear, you get to, you get to hear Carter Rice and you and myself all kind of fanboying over, over <laughs> what, what we enjoy probably the most about Eleni Lilios's um, craft. And that is uh, how just yeah, well, I think your your title of this track is you have Lilios the Wizard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which on, honestly, it really it really sums up a lot of of what um what I personally find most enjoyable about her music and and the technology that she uses. She just of of the material she picks and of the technology she uses and and how she uses it just she makes the the simplest things uh seem magical yeah. and make the most complex kind of things look simple. Does that does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean yeah, we we fanboyed pretty hard about <laughs> it was, it about was this pretty piece. hard. <laughs> I mean, I, it's I think, still one of my favorite pieces. Yeah. Like not of hers, just end of statement in, favorite in general. Pieces. Yeah. Um I have to say I I saw her at Seamus, you know, just mm. this past weekend and uh she presented a new piece for bass clarinet and computer that we're going to hear in the Seamus uh, podcast. I, I got her to sit down. And oh, fantastic. She didn't tell me all of her secrets, but she well, told me at least a couple. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we could, uh, uh, wizards, magicians, they're kind of related, and a magician never reveals their secrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so definitely look out for, for that, uh, uh, that interview coming up in the next couple of Seamus episodes. But, um, yeah, I mean... First of all, could there be a nicer human being uh, no. than Elaine? No, I mean, I mean, come on. <laughs> and then, and then she writes this amazing music. I mean, half the time, I, you know, I I look at her as a composer, and it's like, well, I'm just gonna quit. <laughs> That's right. I, there is there is nothing I can do here. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, we could we could fanboy now, but why don't we recap? We'll go back in time to episode fifteen and and listen to Carter and you and I kind of hashing out this particular piece. I was at uh, the I was at Ties, the Toronto International yeah. Electroacoustic Symposium. Um, uh, was it? I think it was a couple of years ago, and she was there, and she was doing uh, her the new piece with. Um, the percussionist Scott Deal, mm-hmm. um, the Rush, uh, Rush of the Books, Brook Stills the Mind. Yep. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. She was doing that piece and um I was kind of I was kind of hanging out with her almost the entire festival, which was awesome because she introduced me to a lot of the, you know, a lot of the bigger bigger composers in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, Robert Normando and uh, Steve Naylor and um, uh, uh, you know just just some other people, it, and it was really cool to just kind of hang with her and talk with her. And I actually think I offended her <laughs> <laughs> because after her performance, we were we were walking, we were going to catch the subway, and I was I was talking to her. I had never heard the piece before, so I asked her how much of that was fixed mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was like Om- almost nothing <laughs> yeah oh it was it was almost all live but i think she i think she took it a little bit the wrong way sure. because my my point was that it was so freaking good how could it be live mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you know and i it was yeah. <laughs> the the sounds were so amazing how how is it even possible that this could be live i knew it was live yeah you know but that my point was that it was so good. It was so good. You are a wizard of live electronics if that's what it sounds like, mm-hmm. you know? Hmm. Well, and, and she really is. And it, it's funny, too, because I've seen other, like, like particularly at conferences like EMM or something where it's like like a, a first or second year undergrad, you know, gets in and you can kind of tell it's their first time at a at a somewhat large conference or any conference at all. And I've seen people go up to her and ask like either that exact question or other ones. And you can just kind of tell she's been asked that a lot, which maybe that's the only reason she reacted to it weirdly. Cause she's just getting like so many times. So how much of that was fixed? And you know what I mean? She's like, she's just got a t-shirt that right. says it's all live, you know? Um, and, and well, and so, you know what, here's the other thing. Oh too. my God. You should make, <laughs> please yes, make that yes, t-shirt. All, for yes. <laughs> well, you know, and she's the one, I mean, I, I got to spend a semester learning the basics of Macs at my undergrad, but then I really learned um, majority of what I still use in that software um, uh, today from her, you know, I in, in classes and private lessons. And, and I don't think she would disagree with me in saying this, but she is by no means like... A, a, a max like uh, master you know what i mean in terms of the technical programming side of it she's very good don't get me wrong but and i'm not either i'm just like very okay with max but th- that's one of the things that's absolutely great about her is that she doesn't spend uh, as much time as some people that are sort of the the technical masters of it that really you know the ones that are programming their own objects and doing all these things she figured out what worked for her and then has continued to work deeper and deeper into that and so i've had conversations with her where i'm like hey you know i found this thing that sort of simplifies this object library that you and i both use in max and she'll be like well you know i'm going to stick with what i have because i'm getting great results and then she keeps getting these great results without needing to just you know, endlessly spend time upgrading or tweaking or doing this, that, the other. She she does live processing with uh, the, the the tools that she's built very well, and she just keeps doing it over and over. It's it's incredibly effective. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the idea that uh, I, the technology is nice, and of course she she stays up on things that are current, mm-hmm. but it's really about the sound. Yeah. What is what is the yeah. sound in question? And how does that, how is that communicated? How does that move through space? I think that's very much the fundamental of anything she does. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also think that she, I mean, she's a composer first. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. And, and we, we all know that there are, there are definitely people that are in this field that 
are coming to it from a technology side rather than a composition side. Correct. Yeah. First and f- first and foremost. Sh- so should we name names I to think- upset some listeners? <laughs> <laughs> well, you you can, but I'm we'll, gonna we'll them edit out. them out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. Oh my god, what if I did that? Sent you the file and then you put it in anyway. <laughs> So uh, we're going to continue with the overdrinks episodes, and the next one we're going to talk about is uh, episode uh, a part, uh, actually the very beginning of uh, episode twenty nine. I think it's literally right when we join the join the conversation because I think at the very beginning of it, Jen is having technical problems or or something like that. <laughs> yeah, but I really wanted to keep that in. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so this, uh, I, I believe, because this was the third overdrinks we did, and I believe that this is the beginning of your, reputa- your reputation as Bad Beer Andy. This is where it happens? Oh, I ma'am. think so, because oh, you ma'am. had some just nasty, I mean, you didn't, it, it wasn't that you were choosing horrible beers that you liked, this particular one was a horrible beer that you just hated. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh yeah, that was the was it like an apple cidery th- it was oh, some kind of yeah, something like that. Oh man. <laughs> I've blocked it out. <laughs> yeah. So um and, I, and this one is kind of the the opening of that episode where we're about to talk about Sariajo's uh opera and how Jen just like <laughs> saw five minutes of it and decided she hated it. I mean, to to be fair, come on, we we all kind of come to these snap decisions sometimes, especially oh, if we're busy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was just it was just so so funny. Anyway, it was really yeah, so, it was really good. Th- and 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 this is uh, you know it's one of my favorite moments because we really we we get to we see the origin story, and I mean yeah. this has been played yeah. out over so many episodes. <laughs> The origin story. <laughs> the origin story of Bad Beer Andy. Oh, and and uh, you know, spoiler alert for those who haven't listened to this, uh, we we may have all convinced ourselves to actually give the opera a fair shake yeah. <laughs> by the end of this overdrinks. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's hear this clip, uh, and this is uh, Andrew, myself, and Jen Jolly on episode twenty nine. Uh, which was an overdrinks about Caius Ariajo. I'm just hearing one side that's, that's stronger. Just way more but right you're, you're getting a lot of right. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of right. And I um, went into my preferences and everything's supposedly fair and balanced, you know. So <laughs> it'll be okay. It'll Fox be okay. Fox News is a setting. <laughs> well, come January 20th, we're going to sure find out, you know. Oh, boy. Oh, too soon. Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, we should probably talk about the opera at some point. We should. Yeah. We yeah. Should. Um, I, so I took some notes, and in my notes, I have written down, we're crazy. Was this my idea? <laughs> um, whose idea so was. It was. It was my idea because Rob's like, let's do a conversation over drinks. And I'm like, here's the premise. I hate this opera. You guys convinced me <laughs> <laughs> that it's a good opera. And I, um, I have like a change of opinion. It's not my favorite opera, but I did give it a chance. And that being said, 
I hated the opera by barely watching five minutes of it. So I'm a jerk is basically what it comes down to. <laughs> Dang, talk about book by its cover, Jen. <laughs> opera by its opening credits. <laughs> well, well, not by its yeah. opening. I actually, I have a backstory with my seeing Lamar de Luan for five minutes in the middle of it. I have a story with that, actually. Okay. But it's not terribly interesting. Well, well before before we get into the story because yes. I, I do want to hear it. We should we should start by as I mean as always, we should start by saying what we're drinking. Yes. It's true. Well, Andrew, what are you drinking? Well, to be to be quite honest, it's uh it's not all that good. I opened it up <laughs> because it looked interesting. It's a it's a ginger apple ale. Um, and the maker will remain nameless because it's pretty bad. <laughs> Man, it sounds like it would be an awesome mixer. Actually, it doesn't sound like it would be an awesome mixer. Mixed, uh, Ginger. Mixing. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe the only thing that might be able to save that is it's, it is it is alcoholic itself. It's it ale. is. It is, yes. Oh. Ch- chaser a whiskey? I don't right. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't want you don't want to go with clear. Yeah, My, well, uh, you don't want to go with clear uh liquors <laughs> with that. I mean, definitely a brown something. Yeah, right. <laughs> I w- I was going to say you can dilute it with soda water, but that might think make things like terribly terribly bad. Or you could stop drinking it, although you're yeah, supposed to be sipping uh, it. You know, I'm almost willing to try folk. anything as an improvement, but I think I have to suffer through because I don't have an extension cord for my headphones and or my laptop. <laughs> uh, Jen, what are you drinking? I am drinking an horchata, which makes me very happy. I decided to get... Horchata. Yes. Fancy. Um, got Mexican food tonight. In a small town, Delaware, Ohio, which this is actually a pretty good taco stand. (laughs) We actually need more taco stands in Delaware, Ohio. (laughs) I'm in Delaware. Ohio. Sorry, that's... Ohio. Well, right. (laughs) Just so we're clear. (laughs) Or we magically wisp away to Delaware. Mm -hmm. Hi. I'm in Delaware. Sorry, that was a Wayne's World reference. It totally was. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should go with that from now on. <laughs> All right. And I'm I'm drinking some Pu'ar tea because for me, it's 945 in the morning. That's so. right. Good morning to you. Ah, good evening. Yes. Yes. I hear that tea is yeah. actually very healthy. So cheers to that. Well, there's this thing in China where, you know, you can go to ha- like to a tea market and you can sit down and try different teas and you try each one and they say, oh, this one's good for this. Oh, this one's good for that. Oh, this one's good for this. This is good for health. This is good for health. And I'm like, you're drinking water. It's all good for you. Like, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> That's as true. Long, as long That's as they true. boil it Depends first. Depends on the water over I think here. you need to boil the water first to really make <laughs> yeah but it's but I, I i'm always kind of skeptical because they're always like oh this one is really good for health and i'm like that, and that's i i'm not doing a uh a a horrible um 
I don't know, racist impersonation. Like this is literally what they say. This is good for health. Mm-hmm. And I mean, because, you know, English is their second language, obviously. But um, but yeah, it's just never, it's just always vague. This is good for health. And I, I anyway, it's just, it's just <laughs> something funny to me because it's like, yeah, hydrating is healthy. Well, I figured they um, can't say it's good for prosperity or money because you can't really back that up with boiled water. <laughs> so at least if they say it's healthy, you know, yes, it is healthy. <laughs> they can actually like have some claim on that. That that's my brain at this hour right now. You're welcome. Fair enough. Think about it next time you go right. shopping for tea. You just convinced me. <laughs> So it looks like my turn to introduce the next one. And I think that the over drinks are just going to keep rolling. And um, for at least a little bit. I mean, they're so fun and we love I, doing they really, them. They really are. And and I don't I don't want to say it's kind of become a, a little bit of a signature of the Lexical Tones podcast, but it's. They, drinking they, and drinking and nerding <laughs> out about music. Yeah. Well, there's nothing else like it. So it, it definitely is ours. Um. So, I mean, in, in that regard, I, I have to say, I, I love, I, I just love listening to a lot of the Lexical Tones interviews that you do. Uh, hell, I, when we still did them, I really enjoyed the, um, remember when we did Dangling Modifiers? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like part of me really, and, and I do, I do kind of keep some of those up there, because I really do think they're good archival, archival things. Plus, you get, you all get to hear my first notation software, aka Microsoft Paint. Yeah. <laughs> You in the dangling um, modifiers, you got to hear uh, a oh God. very, very old quasi pop song, like Russian inspired thing by Charles Halka that, yeah. we, that we featured. You got <laughs> yeah. to hear uh, Ben Krause and me and Charlie and Steve uh, Bachicha, uh, our uh, like stupid dance remix of uh final countdown with that some bo- was epic with some bach bach thrown in over top yeah. of it you you've heard a lot of uh a, a lot of weird stuff that at this point i would just throw on the podcast there you know there are there are some real gems but i have to say yeah. i have to say that that <laughs> Without fail, this is this next one that I'm going to introduce is probably my favorite, and I hope I'm about to introduce the correct one. Um, the The title of this that you've given me is just Angry Beaver. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is from episode 34, and this is the over drinks in which you and uh, my wife Jamie Lee Sampson and I are all kind of. Uh, sitting down with beverage in hand to discuss Sebastian Fagerlund's uh, bassoon concerto Mana and the and the study piece uh, Woodlands, right? Yes, uh, yeah. kind of kind of gets gets thrown in there. And of course, in uh, in true Rob McClure fashion, I think this clip is going to begin with you <laughs> with you having to rain on our parade and tell us well, something that something that you didn't like about the piece. <laughs> I mean, okay. If this hasn't come out on the podcast yet, uh, my my astrological or, or sign is a Libra. Nice. And the, the Libra is the one of the scales, you know? Yes. Like, yes. things are in balance. And uh, when I was living in China and, and working there, my good friend Aaron Pergram um, 
he he was very into that stuff and he pointed out to me the fact that i say well to be fair a lot a lot <laughs> he's like oh my god you're such a libra stop it and uh yeah you know you can't listen i i liked that piece a lot but there was oh, yeah. one one little section that i wasn't really jiving with and that eventually led to this gem of a phrase oh man oh man <laughs> by by your wife and i think that jamie's really dropped some good phrases especially in the over drinks oh absolutely she, she has a way with words yes yes <laughs> she is a word samson <laughs> yes instead instead of a word smell yeah none of these are landing just so yeah you- they're really <laughs> not you should be <laughs> drinking see that's the problem here that's right. Um, but yeah, so so we're going to start off, this clip is going to start off with us talking about uh, some orchestrational choices, perhaps, that uh, that were made and timbral combinations that, that weren't necessarily uh, satisfying your your aesthetic. And, and to be fair, your, your Libra is balanced out nicely by uh, Jamie's Sagittarius. Yep. Right? That makes total sense. And my Pisces. Okay. <laughs> Um, but we are going to get to the the moment uh, where we start emulating. Oh, don't give it away. Certain... Oh, okay. All right. They're just going to have to to angry beaver. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't um, talk about this piece without saying something that I don't like about it. Fair enough. And there was a moment where he went down to just like the solo was still playing and then it was like piccolo and tuba now to be uh, to be fair i think there were there were a few other things maybe ringy dingy plunky things <laughs> my, I my, mean, my lovable percussion <laughs> i i think there was probably piano in there i oh i can't remember to be honest with you and but, I, but yeah there were some other things but the the emphasized sonorities were piccolo and tuba and especially in the video you know they yes, were yeah. they were focused on those two instruments to tell you ooh listen to these right now but it was like <laughs> ugh it was so it was so forced to me you know it's like it's like you listen to you you go to um i don't know i don't i don't want to i'm going to get very belligerent here about this and i i really don't want to but there are those composers like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a piccolo and bassoon duet. Oh, that's so cool. No, it's not. It really isn't. These instruments do not work together. They should never work together. They have no business being in existence in the same place other than for novelty's sake. And I felt like that moment was really, really forced to me in an otherwise really beautiful piece. Well, now it's interesting too because the the piccolo I'm sorry, is doing you guys you guys don't have bassoon and, or uh, uh tuba and piccolo duets do you no no, no not don't. at all okay good <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny <laughs> um if i'm remembering correctly or at least for most of the time and maybe maybe i'm just misremembering but if i'm remembering correctly the tuba is not in its in its primary range in an orchestral setting. It's a high tuba part, isn't it? That's happening with the piccolo. 
I didn't feel like it was that high. Well, I, that, I mean, not ridiculously high, but it was it was very it was in a in an upper tessitura where it, it was the the bassoon was the lower voice. I thought. I feel like you're splitting hairs here to make. No, no, no. I'm 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 not splitting hairs. I'm just. I mean, I mean, my New York is coming out here. Um, I mean, I feel like uh, I I think. Um, I, I'm not defending it necessarily. I'm I'm just saying that um, the the obvious uses of that particular instrument. I I don't think it was necessarily uh, obvious. You know, uh, oh, I'm going to have a piccolo and a tuba duet. The first thing that comes to my mind is really high squeaky tones and farting noises. Right? That's <laughs> that's maybe that's <laughs> why <laughs> these. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag overdrinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, it's like, maybe it's the, you know, if I wasn't watching the video, if I was actually just sitting in the audience, maybe I wouldn't even have this thought. But it's the fact that they were emphasized in the video yeah. that I st- really started to pay attention and figure out that, oh, it's a bassoon and piccolo and tuba trio right here. Wow, that's... <laughs> I think it is the video because I have no idea what moment you guys are talking about. Really? Yes. Yeah. So you've, you've just been listening to the recording? Then? I've just been listening to the recording. Yeah. All right. So it might be the video driving you guys to that point. But I'm, I'm more than happy know. to share my, uh, my moment of, of, of discontent. And this oh, is, you have a moment of discontent? This It is. In the winter, even. It, <laughs> thanks, Rob. <laughs> um, it's Can not we- even to do with the piece. It's the title. Dear Composers Everywhere, we get that it's a big stick. (laughs) (laughs) But there have been enough titles about the big stick. Let's move on. (laughs) Wait, maybe to clarify it for I'm I'm lagging behind maybe. What what the hell does it mean? What's going on? I mean I guess I guess I'm I'm referring to the solo and not not the concerto. Oh okay. What uh what what's it wood wood something? Uh, woodlands, right? Yes, woodlands, (laughs) woodlands, woodwinds, forests, trees, reeds, rushes, all these, yeah, all these things. Yeah, okay. Because I was like mana. I I feel like mana means something else. I was yeah, I was kind of scratching my head. These these two pieces kind of live in the same bubble to me though, because one is a study piece for the other one, and so and so I can't get through a podcast about the concerto and not say. Darling composers, <laughs> let's let's move forward from the idea of it's a stick. That's my um, next. That's gonna be my next title. It better not be. <laughs> I'm gonna write it for you, and it's just gonna be called Jamie's Big Stick. <laughs> the unpremiered concerto. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I I I don't think uh, we hit on this yet, but. That's actually something that's kind of interesting that and I'm and I get that, you know, other people do this, but the the idea of writing a study piece, you know, play this and then play this, you know. Mm. Oh, that's that's, so, that's interesting that you think of it that way because I think it of it, it as the composer getting to know the instrument and what works oh. for it. 
as a study. As a, as a oh. sound repository. And then, oh, okay. because there's a lot of stuff from the solo that didn't make it into the concerto. Some of the brutally high stuff at the end of the solo. I'm talking like, ooh, G5. So sitting on top of the treble clef. To be to to remind scene. me, uh, um, Rite of Spring that starts on a C five. Correct. Correct. So a okay. perfect fifth above. <whistles> Rite of Spring C. Yeah, that is how this piece, the solo, Woodlands ends, is doing this beautiful lyrical. It ends solo. like that. Yeah. After you've been burning your face off the entire time? Right, right, right. So you've got, like, these angry beaver moments where he's, like, right down the low range, right? (laughs) If I had to laugh out loud, you'd better do it, too. (laughs) Angry beaver moment? (laughs) That was a long story. (laughs) Rob, Rob, you've never angered a beaver? (laughs) I guess, well, I'm I'm leaving that alone. Um, (laughs) Next, uh, we're going to go all the way back, not quite to the beginning, but the fourth episode. I didn't even... One one thing I noticed... um, uh, in doing these uh we get better well (laughs) (laughs) yes that too um but uh technology wise i can always tell where i did it by how it sounds oh (laughs) like the the uh or the particular microphone i was using at that point gotcha yeah the most recent ones have a kind of you you hear the room a little bit more because i'm doing it in my basement office and there's like there's not really a good way to get rid of the the room all that much but uh this one was done in the electronic music studio at sujo university and uh it was very dark in there i remember when we recorded this when i recorded this anyway this is episode four with carter rice and um long (laughs) Obviously, long-time listeners know how every episode that is just a one-on-one um, interview with a composer, how it ends. You know, I ask them uh, the question. The big question. The That's big right. question. How did you How did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? And Carter, you know, <laughs> I had met him maybe twice, I think, prior to interviewing him. And they were just, you know, at a festival or something like that. They weren't really, uh, you know, they weren't really um, deep encounters or anything. It was just kind of cursory. Hey, how's it going? I know you. We're friends on Facebook or something like that. Um, and uh, it was really interesting to kind of obviously get into his music for one, but then kind of hear about him as a person. And um, he gave an answer to this question that involved. That involved him finding with uh, who uh, I can't remember who his sister, sister, I think. I think his sister, her friend, yeah, finding a box of CDs. (laughs) Like obviously, someone had thrown out, like broke it up and throw the crap on the lawn or something. Screw you, Stephen. If I'm remembering, yeah. (laughs) And uh, that was my best, Rob McClure. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
So uh, they find this box and they start they start rifling through it, and Carter finds uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera, and that developed this huge love with this uh, you know with this musical for him, and it's so funny to me because we were about the same age when we found this musical, and it has a, had a profound effect on both of our lives. I mean, speaking about origin stories. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my God. All right. I'm going to have to pause for one second. Or maybe I can just keep talking through it. Um, but I wanna, I'm looking through my text messages. Are you stalling right now? What are you doing? No, I want, I want to find the text message that uh, Car- af- after we discovered this and I moved back to the States and, uh, you know, I could text people at – during the time that they were awake right. as well like like normal people right yeah yeah like like humans do um uh i do i do this with uh with my best friend steve bachicha a lot i'll just kind of send a random ass text apropos of nothing just because <laughs> we're we're kind of on the same wavelength and i've started doing this to carter <laughs> And there is a text that is uh, that I sent him uh, on Tuesday, June nineteenth, at eleven forty-seven a.m. That just says in all caps, "Sing prima donna once more." <laughs> and he replied, "I shit you not. I just watched the movie version last night. This blew my mind." Now I'll tell you something else. Carter was obviously at Seamus. He was one of the assistant tech directors, and you're going to hear an interview with him over a lovely dinner of uh, sushi that we had in Boston. Nice. And um, we were talking about his new piece uh, that is, that was on the festival. And uh, later that night, uh, we're walking to a bar to meet up with John Fielder, another previous Lexical Tones guest, and you're going to hear another another interview with John. And you're going to hear something from John a little bit later, too. Man, John and Carter are getting a lot of play they in the next couple of episodes. They are getting a lot of play on the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we're walking to a bar to go uh, meet up with John. And Carter and I are kind of leading the way. And Carter and I start singing the notes scene that is uh, between the two, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, the opera runners, the impresarios or whatever. And yeah. uh, we know all the words we traded back and forth he was one character i was another character and we're doing this like walking down a street in boston with a bunch of like you know drunk people and we're having the time of our lives it's amazing we didn't get beat up or anything but (laughs) well i mean boston's a giant college town and there's a lot of theater folk there right right and we were right by berkeley so we're probably in the right uh you're in good company yeah so uh, let's see where this love of Phantom of the Opera all started from. This is from uh, episode four with Carter Rice. Um, so the last question I want to ask, it's kind of kind of a big question, but how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your career, for your life? 
Yeah, no, that that is a big question. It's a very good question, though. Luckily, I can I can pretty easily, although somewhat embarrassingly, answer that. And this will be, I think, the first time this answer goes on record. So here nice. we go. There's no going. Love it. There's no going back from this. Some people know this, but so uh, when I was like um, about 12 years old. Um, we were in Minneapolis visiting my oldest sister, and my other sister and her were like out walking, and they found like just a bunch of CDs that someone had thrown out a window into like a shrub. Just a bunch of old. We assumed it was like a breakup, you know, and it's like <laughs> someone threw out their boyfriend's or girlfriend's CDs. Screw right? that was you, the idea. Steven, get out of here. Yeah, that, that kind of that, thing. No, yeah. that's kind. Of, yeah, w- which it could have been. Who knows? They, but anyway, they figured you know CDs sitting in a shrub. These are probably up for grabs, so they took a bunch of them. And so on the on the drive back to Minot, it's like a nine hour drive, and I think we did it like mostly in one stretch, and it got to kind of the, it got to be nighttime, and we were going through these CDs, and then my sister uh, Leslie grabbed this one, and it was the it was a highlights of the original Broadway recording of Phantom of the Opera by Andrew Lloyd Webber, and so you have to you have to like take this all into to consideration because first of all I'm twelve right, so I'm like super angsty. And yeah. then I, I listen yeah, yeah. to this musical that's like about like this like angsty dark guy who like lives in a basement and writes music. And I was like, you know, I kind of like writing music. <laughs> I was like, I, that's totally going to be me someday. And so I had this like insanely romanticized ideal of that musical and connecting it to me because, again, I'm 12, you know. And so I, I like uh, like the day after we got back, I asked my my sixth grade music teacher, I was like, hey, can I have some staff paper? And she's like, here you go. And I remember I still actually have like the very first thing I wrote, which was this oh. little Oh, man. solo piano piece yeah I'm, I'm, I'm glad I've kept it it's fun and the, my handwriting was so much neater back then um, <laughs> and so so I started writing music and then um, I've even I have other pieces I we, luckily my dad um, he was he owns a commercial advertising agency so I grew up around like cameras and video production which of course translates super well to audio production you know I, he bought me um, a copy of like uh, sonar you know um that daw that right, no yeah. one uses anymore um and but i grew up and i had we had like a uh, a yamaha clavinova which has you know a, a, they're pretty good sounds you know digital right. midi especially back in the mid 90s those were those were actually pretty good and so i grew up you know doing a little record like i'd record a layer on that and run it into sonar and then you know multi-track and do all that kind of stuff and so by the time i was finishing high school i realized that like i'm gonna do music and I, I was a singer. I was in theater. I played violin. I wasn't sure of the track. So for a while, I was maybe going to go into musical theater and then vocal performance. And then I, I heard about this degree program at Concordia where I could study theory composition. And I, I found my way there. And there was really no going back from that point. I, I was a music major in composition from day one. And I have never, never, <laughs> never faltered from the path. <laughs> I just figured, let's go. Like if, I, if you're going to study music composition, you just got to you just got to go for it. Head head down, you know. Um. Do you remember what, uh, which production of Phantom it was? Like where it came from? It, I'm I'm pretty sure it was the London recording. I know it was Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman singing. Okay. Um, the the two lead parts. Um, but I'm, I'm whether just, or not, it, yeah. I'm just yeah. curious <laughs> because I had a very very similar thing in w- when I was young. Because but I I know for a fact that uh, the the highlights that I had were from um, the Canadian production. I think it was the Toronto version. I cannot remember uh, the singer. Yeah, it's Combe Wilkinson. Is that's his name. it. That's it. Yeah, yep. he he was the guy who did um, Jean Valjean in Les Mis too. He made that role famous. He's a great singer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great <laughs> singer. And you know, I've I've heard other versions of Phantom, and mm-hmm. and maybe it's just because like I grew up with the the Colm Wilkinson one, but no other Phantom does it for me 
like like see every does. everyone says that for whoever they hurt because for me it's like if it's not Michael Crawford I think it's a different musical right <laughs> like, exactly it's not worth my time no, eject exactly. the CD you know yeah well and I I find that I'm kind of that way with with some you know recordings that I had when I was young like there mm-hmm. is no other Rite of Spring than the Bernstein Rite of Spring for me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, can't. and I know it's not. It might not be the best Rite of Spring out there, you know, interpretation wise. But I don't care. It's like mm-hmm. that's what I grew up with. I know every. Se- I know every beat. I know every second of that recording. So yeah. there's. I, I. I don't even want to listen to anything else because it's so. Yeah. It's so different, and it's so not what I view the Rite of Spring as. Because the Rite of Spring had, you know, it had a big impact on me as a as a kid. So I'm never going to deviate from that Bernstein recording. But the the Phantom of the Opera, yeah. When I was a kid, we would take these long driving trips um, mm-hmm. to you know to go see some dead president's house somewhere because my father just <laughs> sure. absolutely loved you know presidential history. So mm-hmm. all of our trips included visiting some dead president's house i mean even if we were going to the beach or something we had to stop off because there was a dead president three (laughs) hours away from the beach (laughs) anyway um but my parents you know had that that cassette tape of the um of the uh highlights from the toronto and we listened to that Mm. a lot and i feel like yeah that I and I felt like it was kind of embarrassing too that that I that <laughs> yeah. I loved you know that I loved this uh musical so much but that was a big part of my my childhood as well. <laughs> yeah, well I mean it as far as a lot of Broadway musicals go I think it's scored wonderfully. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's a lot of great instrumentation and a lot of cool things happen there. I mean, it gets really cheesy with some of the rock opera stuff and right, a few yeah. parts, but other times I I think it stands ahead of the pack from a lot of Broadway musicals and so I think that, you know it has that very classical-esque tradition even if it is kind of very forced at times but it, it you know it connected to some of the stuff I was playing as a violinist and you know I was also a singer at that time so there was just so many things to sort of pull me in and then it just it, it advanced this ideal of like music composition being above all these other things and I just really felt like I need to try that and see if that's a thing that I can do as well and it you know it, it turned out to be obviously very fulfilling but uh, it all sort of germinated from that <laughs> that Broadway recording of all things. <laughs> well, it's, I, I think it's kind of a gateway, you know, mm-hmm. like that. Th- for me, that that allowed me to view classical music as something that wasn't this stuffy, pretentious thing that I didn't that I didn't want to be involved mm-hmm. in. It's like that that one experience with with uh, well, <laughs> multiple experiences with Phantom um, that it seemed like it kind of opened up a world that I had just kind of written off. Mm -hmm. Was that similar for you? Um, I don't know if I, I feel like I was actually really being in, I, I hadn't had time to write it off yet. I was being introduced to it for the first time, I think is more accurate because um, again, you know, similar to my undergrad in, in my not, (laughs) <laughs> talk about a closed off community from from uh new music or or even anything you know so like my my uh high school string teacher he, great violinist and great teacher but he he uh like hated Brahms and onward i mean so. honestly like he he was like we play ro- like rococo music and that's oh, what we do you know wow. and so i i honestly had no idea of like even the the late i didn't know what wagner was like all you know it was just a very isolated musical upbringing um because my parents weren't especially musical people either 
either. So they weren't introducing things to me, you know, like I was just sort of trapped in that. So actually Phantom was almost like, to me, like, like Rite of Spring might have been to you in that it was a a gateway to, and I didn't know that people were still like writing music with orchestras and sing, you know, I didn't know that that was still happening. No one told me. And so I I heard it when I was like 12. I was like, oh my gosh, people do this? You you didn't get the memo on that? Yeah, no, I had no clue. I thought, I thought composers wore white wigs and they died 200 years ago. No clue people were still writing me. I thought John Williams must have just been a robot and they just made him up like something, you know, like clearly, clearly there was no music being written in my lifetime and so I, I once I discovered it it meant that you know a I could do it too and that B you know like this is this is the thing that I like it, it was great all right so so uh, keeping on with the with the trend here of like individual, episodes um i think this next clip is going to be from from uh, jen jolly's uh solo episode if i'm remembering correctly and i i think it's, i might have to look up the number for well, this it's actually uh from the mixtape oh it's from the mixtape yeah that's that right because it's that 39 yeah yeah it's 39 so but the thing that i love about this particular clip is you guys talk about titles yeah Right. And uh, some of her titles, I I think she well, hands down, I think she's really good at titles. She really is. Yeah. Um, And, you know, you know, I had a I had a when I was studying with Michael Keane, Michael Keane had had uh, we had talked about titles in our in our lessons for a a variety of reasons. And, uh, you know, his his take on things is like you want to be, you know, a little bit ambiguous. You want to give like Mm -hmm. a general kind of title so that you give an impression you give you you kind of give a nudge to your audience but it allows the audience to read in like their own interpretations of what this piece could be yeah and and i think in a lot of ways uh many of jen's titles do this um while sometimes being really specific they're specific if you know exactly they're just vague enough if you don't know you know, yeah. they, they get, like you say, they give an impression if you don't know, but if you do, it's kind of an Easter egg for you. It really is. And boy, I think in this next clip that the, the reveal of this particular Easter egg is, is, is kind of fun, especially in context of what this piece is and who it's written for. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> well, uh, I'll say this, that. I just uh I just learned that um there is one more uh there's one more reference. Well I'll 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 reveal it after the clip. Okay. The, that sounds not, that sounds not good. particularly about this piece, but about another piece that Jen uh kind of slipped past me the first time and I just learned about it. So sweet. Well, let's take a listen to this particular clip from uh is this the first mixtape? It was among the first group of mixtapes, yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't remember if it was the first or, or second, but it's the it was the first time that the adjective crew kind of revisited after yeah. after all the solo episodes in the beginning. So this is episode this is a clip from episode thirty nine of the Lexical Tones podcast where Jen Jolly and you discuss uh the the intricacies of her titles. Um what does the what is the title? mean or where does it come from so and and, and and you'll probably laugh at this so i'm a huge quentin tarantino fan 
and I just saw The Hateful Eight. I was like, I need to come up with a cool title. This is more of a piece of abstract music because I'm like, (laughs) must follow ABA, must be in common time, must use eighth notes, right? Um, And also follow a specific tempo. Like it can't go too fast and it can't go too slow. It has to be moderate tempo. And so I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing with the title, um, which used to plague me, I don't know, when I was in grad school, but now I got pretty good with titles. But then I was like, I really don't know what this piece is about. I just, you know, saw a Gamelon Ensemble at the New Music Gathering, and I'm like, oh my goodness, all they're doing is playing a whole bunch of eighth notes and repeating things. Right. And I could totally use that. That would be a great compositional tool, uh, but I don't know what the title is whatsoever at all. And so I'm watching The Hateful Eight, um, loving the film score, loving the movie and there are specifically eight chapters in the hateful right yeah and the first chapter is last stage to red rock can i just say that using a title from the hateful eight for a sixth grade band piece (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing well they don't know and i mean of course they don't know so what did you tell him? Did you have to explain it? Well, no, I didn't because they they oh. were like, last stage to Red Rock. They're like, oh, what's stage? And I said, well, actually, I did say I was watching a movie and I was watching a Western because <laughs> that's a Western. So it could have been Blazing Saddles. It could have been Another very Blazing... inappropriate yes, movie. Yes, I know. <laughs> um, but but I said, look, this, this is the beginning of the film and there are these characters in a stagecoach, and they're trying to outrun a storm that's coming. <laughs> and they're like, oh, and they're that's, like, I that can is hear the it. sixth grade. That's like the sixth grade summary of Hateful Eight. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's, that's exactly it. And I, admittedly, I was like, ooh, I want to, you know, why not make a whole set of sixth grade or, or grade one beginning band pieces with each of the chapters but um Uh the problem is and i'm trying to look up the names of the chapters but i think the last chapter is called black man white hell and i'm like ooh, i i don't know yeah everything else not gonna play in sixth grade (laughs) is kind of cool um but except for the very very last one which i'm like you know if i end up writing um the whole set and I actually have it filed in my computer of the Hateful Eight as <laughs> like a potential for beginning band series. <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna do. I really want to do. I will figure out a way to explain Chapter Eight. Um, yeah. But no, like one of the chapters is like Mimi's haberdashery. I think that was the name yeah. of the character. Um, you know, just really cute, like compact titles. But I really like, I really like Quentin Tarantino. I really like these westerns, and you know, I put the piece in G minor. Um, I think I had a kid call it. Why does it sound so evil? I think that was one of the questions in the Q and A session that we had. But uh, sorry, it's Minnie's haberdashery. There we go, Minnie's haberdashery. But Minnie's haberdashery. Um, right. Yeah, I mean that—that's how I explained it to the kids. It's a western. There are cowboys. It's bleak. It's gonna snow really hard really soon. <laughs> they gotta get. <laughs> they gotta get to Red Rock. <laughs> so. 
That that's kind of a cool idea. Like not not as I mean, I think you should definitely do the whole set based on based on the hateful eight. But also like that's that would be kind of a cool writing project to take these like horribly inappropriate movies and do sixth grade <laughs> summaries, you know. <laughs> you know, they're they're these characters and they're outrunning a storm and it's gonna snow a lot. Like And we don't know who the again. bad guy is and we're yeah. trying to figure out you know, with this blizzard, who the bad guy is. Like, I wonder, like, do a sixth grade summary for all the Tarantino movies, you know? Oh, man. <laughs> like, you know, there's this woman and she is just trying to get in touch with a lot of people from her past and, <laughs> you know, solve some kind of conflict. Okay, okay. So I actually, a long time ago, was asked to write a cello and piano piece for this couple approached me, it was through um, through CCM. I was like, "Yeah, I'll write a piece for your son." And I was like, "This got it. This has to be pretty badass." I think that's kind of the idea. It's like I have to impress these middle schoolers, which we realize, like, why? Like, right. they're middle schoolers, <laughs> right? Like, and I'm thinking, like, why am I, why am I trying so hard? You know, because sometimes middle schoolers could be mean. Although, like, this group was nice, and I think in general, like, all kids are nice. But it's middle school. Let's just yeah. be clear. So this kid, I think he was in eighth grade. I'm like, okay, what do eighth graders like, or maybe sixth grade? I don't know. But the long story short of it is since you're referring to kill bill and kill bill you know yeah. kill bill one and two that um there's the crazy 88 and yep. i like the idea of ninjas and like it's i was writing it for a boy so the name of the title was 88 exploding ninjas and that's oh in reference <laughs> to the kill bill that's an series. amazing title oh my god that's awesome so i guess we can look forward to more uh hateful eight band pieces in the future yes sounds like yes if there are any band directors who want a beginning band piece i will tell you the titles of at least the next six again number eight's gonna be a little tricky we will right. figure it out it could be our little secret maybe the alternate title of, of chapter eight but uh yeah i i that's kind of what i'm coming up with so yeah that was a good movie i um, love that movie like yeah I mean, I there isn't a Tarantino movie that I don't love. Thank so. you. This is why we're friends. Seriously. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to hear a recording of Mason Middle School. And was this from the performance or was this a rehearsal recording? This was from the performance. And bless the kid's cool. heart, they actually didn't play during the rest because I had to be stern with them <laughs> and be like, you do not play there because I didn't write any <laughs> notes for you. <laughs> you play exactly what I, I say. You play. <laughs> I said, "Why did why did you play notes there?" Oh, I said, "I didn't write anything." <laughs> they were they were revising yes, for you. Apparently, they were trying to make it. They they were real time composing over my music. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so you you yeah you just you you had a big not spoiler but you had a big <laughs> cliffhanger. <laughs> so so Jen uh, Jen's now at Texas Tech uh, University mm -hmm. and she's organizing this electronic music uh, concert and she asked a few of us uh, to send her pieces to be included on the concert and uh, I sent her a piece and she uh, sent the program 
you know, with program notes back to us to check. And mm-hmm. she is uh, she's performing uh, her own uh, fixed media piece called uh, Paint My Chopper Pink. Mm. And I did not know this because I programmed that piece at Ohio University. And I read her, po- pr- her program notes and it is a reference to Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she actually puts the... Uh, it's not a motorcycle, baby. It's a chopper. She puts it's like the lines from Pulp Fiction in her program notes. Yeah. It's Zed's, baby. Who's Zed? Zed's dead. That's the end of the program note. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, the love of Tarantino runs deep. Well, and and you know, I'm a I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Tarantino. Yeah, me too. Um, but uh, but I had not actually seen the the Hateful Eight until oh, good. after the mixtape. Yeah, and I was like, okay, I have like this sounded too much fun for me to to you know it was on the list, but I definitely moved it further up. And yeah, love love love. Yeah, real good. <laughs> So uh, let's move on to the next one. This is going to be um, another solo episode. And it was actually, it was the first person, uh, the first composer on the podcast that I interviewed that I didn't know personally. Oh. Um, and this is uh, episode 16. This is Amanda Fury. And uh. Uh, I was introduced to Amanda's music through actually the episode we did with Quince which I yep. think was episode 10. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, with uh, with Liz and Kaylee. And I had known Liz before, uh, you know, so th- this was the first time it was like, okay, really uh, have to try to be somewhat professional, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, talk to someone about their music who I'd never talked to before and, uh, you know, try, try to coax out these... Uh, the details about their process, about, you know, their compositional thinking, about, you know, anything else. And that was another one where we had a long uh, dangling modifier. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was, it yeah. was you know, it was, I think it was in the neighborhood of like 20 to 30 minutes because it, like mm-hmm. that was another like just great first conversation I had. Really good conversation. Yeah. So uh, in this clip, we're going to hear uh, Aunt Amanda talk about her piece, Square Pushers. And... Mm. This is another reason that I kind of like doing the podcast and talking to other composers, performers, creative people, because it just it, it's a great way to share ideas. And she's talking about how she made this piece called Square Pushers. And I think that's, you know, I, I like this. I like getting together with other composers and sharing. How did you do that? You know, shop talk. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Shop talk. But also, I think it's, you know, I've. Uh, and of course I've credited her, but this method of writing, you know, I've given that to students and say, Hey, this is an option. You know, Mm -hmm. you can try this. This is Mm -hmm. something that if you're in kind of a rut, if you need something new to try, if, if you just can't get the notes on the page, try this and see what happens. And it's had, you know, uh, better or worse results for them you know mm-hmm. it's for some people it's not for other people but i love getting you know kind of collecting all of these yes. techniques that so many different composers use uh to to write their music and they're you know like it's it's just that it's a technique exactly it's, it's a tool 
to try and write music. And I, I thought this what represented kind of that one of the, one of the most uh, unique tools that I, we've kind of discovered on the podcast. Can I, can I fanboy out just a little bit? Please do. Like, like I have, I have not had the privilege of meeting uh, Amanda in person. Me neither. Um, uh, it's it's just been like a, a digital acquaintance friendship here for a little while. Um, but I am a huge fan of uh, her music, and this the Square Pushers um, is one of my favorite pieces. Not just by her, just just in general, one of my favorite pieces. Well, let's listen to it. So this is uh, from episode sixteen. This is Amanda Fury talking about her piece Square Pushers. So it's for it's for a female vocal quintet, and they kind of talked a little bit about the title, <laughs> which related to the I guess related to the process of composing the piece for you. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I hadn't written anything before Square Pushers, I was taking a little bit of a break. I hadn't written anything in a few months. And I was applying for grad schools and trying to trying to write those bloody personal statements and try to say <laughs> <laughs> yes. so what and really like not thinking about why I write or what I do in, in a lot of detail. I was just, you know, working away the last few years. And then those statements challenge you to just have a good think about where you're at. So I had decided at that point, I was like, I'm sick of working in Sibelius. I'm just sick of working with notated music. I'm fed up and it's not, it doesn't feel immediate enough to me. And I, I was having a lot more fun working with electronic stuff because it is more immediate. So right. I was thinking of ways, how, how can I write a piece for the, for Quince where I'm not just stuck at Sibelius for a few weeks or a few months. Um, so what I started, initially how Square Pushers started, I just started recording little phrases with the field recorder and writing them down on little, little slips of manuscript and just collecting a few phrases. And then, uh, I mean, the original score for Square Pushers is ridiculous looking. I can send it on. It's like a Fisher-Price score. It's just so bad. <laughs> um, I, I typeset it eventually, but no, the, the original is out there with colouring pencil and crayon and everything. It's it's so funny. But um, I just started gluing and like collecting the scraps of paper I had um, and had each each voice as sort of a track the way you would work in uh, a sequencer you know right um, yeah and i was sort of deciding on where phrases would lie uh, along just a timeline so the score is just six minutes across um and the material just moves across um and then i was thinking of the text so the text is just one line it's just uh, realign the time and right where does that come from i just made it up um, and you have a way with words <laughs> <laughs> but then i can't really explain i'm sorry i just made it up <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> that's good I, enough right <laughs> and then i guess 
I guess I was thinking of realignment in, in terms of the squares, you know, when you work in a sequencer, it's the same thing. Um, like a moment in time might just not work so well and that you have the power to just shove it over a little bit, you know, um, and sort of mould it that way. It, it, it's so quick and it's so immediate. So I was thinking with the little scraps of paper that I had, I had the power to do that. And also I was very open to the kind of semi-improvisatory side of things in the piece as well. Mm -hmm. I was kind of interested what the result would be there as well. Um, so I'd say four minutes of the piece was set up that way. And then the last two minutes of the piece, um, I wanted a very chordal, um, at, at that point of the four minutes, they're very much in time. So mm -hmm. yeah. all, all of the phrases that have been floating in and out and, and popping through the texture, um, kind of the melodic aspects, that just is chordal by the four minutes and they uh, just repeat the phrase, realign the time um, up until the, the end of the piece. Um, so, yeah, I had, I had, it was like one of the only pieces where I had so much fun working on because I wasn't near the computer once and I just had these little fortune cookie sort of size like slips of paper just working um, on I had graph paper and everything so it was like really like arts and crafts you know um, and I was just gluing little parts together um, and then just sent it off to Quince and they performed it and they, the recording they sent back I was so happy with it All right, can I can I return us to some overdrinks? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, let's let's let's, re, let's recap. <laughs> and I think I think this next one is like the mother of all overdrinks. <laughs> was this the was this the overdrinks where we had the like minimalism versus serialism uh, discussion? Yeah, is that yeah, yeah. is that the? Um, the <laughs> so this one. This one is uh, episode 63. And uh, so this is the one where uh, I, it, this is was John Fielder's first appearance on the podcast, correct? Yeah, before he, we did a solo episode for him, he, he wanted to kind of join an overdrinks to have this di discussion because I had, and we, we if you go back and listen to it, you'll hear the whole story, but I had stupidly said something on social media. <laughs> Um, why? why 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 would i do that why would i have a thought or opinion and then share it i mean that's it's so irresponsible as a person um but uh and it, it got this huge backlash and you know i i will say uh those kinds of experiences which i had several of towards the end probably contributed to me just wanting to say goodbye to facebook forever it's like eh, i don't need this i mean mm. It it can be fun sometimes, but at that particular moment in in time, it seemed like nothing was fun about the yeah. world. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, so so John came to me and said, "Hey, why don't we? You know, could could I come on and could we actually have this discussion? This seems like a really good long form, uh, you know, long form idea to explore." Emphasis on long form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very long. <laughs> it was a big podcast. <laughs> I think we recorded for two hours and only like an hour and 45 made it. 
Um, there yeah. was definitely some stuff I cut towards the yeah. end. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and the the interesting thing about the clip, is, this is this is towards the end, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. In fact, yeah, so far toward the end that that both Jennifer Jolly and John Fielder had to go because well, the, they had other stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, we're going to hear two clips, and the first one is John talking about. You know, this was this was kind of an aesthetic debate, minimalism versus modernism and and anything in between. And we were we right. started talking about like isms. And uh John <laughs> has a great one to describe. His oh, own yeah, music. that's right. That's right. So I think we'll hear that first. And then after Jen and John had left, it was you, me, uh Jamie and Jamie, Evan, right? Jamie yeah, and Evan yeah. kind of holding down the fort. And um well, we over well one of us overdrank um it was me <laughs> but but some great some great material came out of that experience <laughs> in fact, let's should we take a listen i think we should take a listen to this particular clip yeah let's let's do that let's, let's do that i am not interested in all at all in what I think my label is. It's none of my business what the audience thinks that I think of my label. And if I put my own stamp on, I am this kind of composer, they're either going to shoot me down and say, well, you're wrong. (laughs) Or I've just turned off a huge portion of what could be my audience because they see a word that they either don't love or hate. They love or hate. They don't fully understand. Mm -hmm. They understand in a context differently than I do. That's none of my business. All I can do is put out what I think is interesting music. Good music, if you want to put it that way. I think it's good. I am going to put a label on that because I don't let what I don't think is my good out in mm-hmm. the world. I would say, Jamie, that I, I... I mean, I don't think I've ever come across a composer who is interested in what their ism is. You know? Hmm. I mean, at least well, one that's yeah. one I that's have a serious. Page for you to visit. <laughs> well, yeah. I actually was. I was recently asked that one time. Uh, well, when I was in Austin, someone asked me, you know, how would you define your music? I said, I don't, I don't really know. And I was, it, I did, I wasn't trying to make it like a "don't label me" kind of a thing. But this person was pretty insistent. They were like, "No, really, what would you call yourself? What you know camp do you fall in?" And I coined <laughs> the term like post kerplunkety neo modernism, <laughs> just to make him happy. Yes. <laughs> I love and, it, and, and and now have genuinely latched onto it, just to kind of like, you know, a big middle finger to the that kind of way of thinking. Like, dude, let's form a school. No, let's I, do you it. Know the, you know the ism I like to say, and I don't know if it's you know if I'm using it correctly, but I like to say, oh, I'm a post structuralist composer because I don't believe in these ah. all these silly sort of you know. Like like Andrew said, I, I have the same belief in my life too. That dogmas are not conducive to really uh, living a full and you know uh, diverse life. Um, so I pull from everything in my music. I pull from everything in my life too. So we live in a post structural society. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, I mean, all of these labels were not put on by the composers no. either. Right. I mean. I think that Mozart was not the best classical music musician ever. I think he was the best amalgamist. He took all of the good stuff about what was going on when he was alive 
and because he started when he was so darn young, he was able to synthesize it into something magical. That doesn't mean that he was original. He grabbed everything that was fantastic that was going on and he stole it. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. Do not go and quote me saying that I don't think Mozart's original. <laughs> oh, well, there's that Rob great, doubts me. There's that great Stravinsky that? quote. There's that great Stravinsky quote. You know, good composers oh, borrow, yeah. good yes. composers steal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rob. Okay. <laughs> no. Oh, you Lame. <laughs> Wait. Lame. If you're going to make that face, you better follow up on it. guy who attacked crap. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Rob, okay. Rob has some really good uh, bourbon he's sipping right there. Yeah, <laughs> that was my answer to that. <laughs> I had one more thing I wanted to say. Mm, okay, this... I find, and, and this might be getting off the track of this conversation, but actually I don't think it is, because this whole this whole thing comes about because we're all artists who have different opinions and different ideas and we're all encountering other artists who have maybe completely counter ideas what was that oh my cat's trying to jump really high onto a cabinet and um there's stuff on the other just ignore my cats dude our cats have been trying to break in for hours (laughs) i did an experiment where i was like i'm gonna keep them out and growling at each other because like the new one's kind of new and um that's what happened sorry if you hear a tiny cat meow and what sounds like a door being busted down in the recording that's that's totally okay rob you were saying something profound yeah Yeah, i'm really sorry that orange julius messed that one up god it's such a good name for a cat um. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's round it out. Just the mm-hmm. four of us. We lost our our two compatriots. <laughs> the whole point of this was to talk about current aesthetics. Aesthetics. <laughs> you were you were doing so well. You you were poised. <laughs> Honestly, if I was sober, I'd still say aesthetics. Yeah, that's fair. Aesthetics. (laughs) Anyway, but I think we did that. Hashtag overdrinks, y'all. Overdrinks, what up? (laughs) No, but one more time, if anyone has stuck around this long, which I doubt that anyone has, please visit John Fielder's blog, which is Klong. With a K, the German spelling, klongnewmusic. Weebly.com. Weebly. Weebly.com. Thank you. <laughs> and that's fucking teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, Evan and I don't have it written down. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to have a Weebly uh, website, so. <laughs> I know how they work. <laughs> And as for us, um, this was kind of a, what should we even call this? I don't even know. Cat herding 101. I like, uh, round table is actually kind of nice. Yeah, but that's kind of. I mean, oh, you think it's lame. I hear that tone. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, then my round table uh, metaphor really works. I know, right? <laughs> All right. Evan has, has laid yeah. the groundwork. All right. All right. 
We're not calling it a spherical table, so we're set. Spherical we're table. The laws of physics do this. Okay. The circle like has yeah. infinite points. <laughs> <laughs> Over drinks infinity. It can't be. Uh, man. Man, I'm I'm really I'm really wondering how if you can get this down to an hour and it's fifteen not be minutes. An hour. It's gonna be two hours. I am not, I've already stated I'm not editing this. Six six well five because you're both on the same like stereo stream or whatever. But five streams? Are you kidding me? There's no editing this. <laughs> Um, so speaking of how I'm going to send you this, uh, <laughs> I actually, I actually do have two independent streams, more or less. Six so I will send streams? You each, Are you kidding I will, me? I will, I will send you each individual and the stereo bounce Woo. and you can decide, you can pick your poison. No, I want the, I, I want the individuals. <laughs> you, you got it. All right. All right. Well, well, shall we turn uh, off our... our our, our dust lamps? No, 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 no. Don't turn off yet. Don't turn off. We have to find <laughs> oh, some way to like, end come this. On. Come on. <laughs> we have to find some way to I close need to it compose. out. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie, you're you're the one that's going to have to take us out here. Yeah, well, I missed the question. We're doing so, it. It I might not matter at this point. <laughs> it might not matter at this point. Uh, well, we're at the. This is. Uh, is this the penultimate clip? Yes, it is the penultimate clip because I'm really, I'm really excited about our last one. Yeah. But uh, I'm also really excited about this one. So, um, lexical tone started as just an opportunity to interview. I, I mean, really, it just started for us, the collective members. Yeah. You know, and then quickly we transferred it into. Uh, just a, a kind of service to the new music community, I think, and a, a way to <laughs> what? I'm, I'm what just, yeah, no, it's it's a service, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it's original research, Andrew. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Field. Re- this is field recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know it. I. When there are uh, a lot of composers, you know, certainly there are other composition uh, or, or composer-based podcasts out there. Yes. And uh, the one, the I mean, the whole reason I wanted to start a podcast in the beginning was, A, I lived in China and I just felt a huge loss of, uh, a, a loss of community. And I wanted to kind of gain that back through having these conversations because it's always easy to say, you know, like, oh, yeah, let's get together. Let's talk about, you know, music or or something. But without an actual purpose, that rarely happens. Yes. In in my opinion. Oh, yeah, let's 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 do that. Well, you know, let's do that turns into, oh, it's been a year since I've talked to you, you know, or guilty. Yeah, let's do that. Guilty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so it was a loss of community, but also, uh, shortly before the collective got together, I had found this podcast that is no, and I've mentioned this before, but it's no longer available. It was just called composer conversations. It was done by the, I can't even remember the guy who did it. Um, but it was this guy who was living in Berlin at the time and he was just interviewing 
basically the composers that were coming through. And I got inter- introduced to uh, people like Ashley Fuhrer, Kate Soper, um, mm-hmm. uh, oh, can't remember her name now, uh, but so many. <laughs> oh, uh, Clara, Clara uh, Ayanata. Is that how you sp- oh. say her name? I, I have no idea, but I'm not, this is a name that I need to look up. Oh, yeah. Look at, th- look at this. Yeah. Very, very fantastic music. But anyway, uh, that came around when also I felt like I don't know my own community. You know, I don't know mm. who's doing what right now. I don't, I don't like people my own age. So th- gotcha. those were like the main motivators to do the podcast. And it started out just talking to composers. But quickly, it seemed like, well, what if we talk to other creative people, you know, mm-hmm. mostly centered around music, but just other creative people? What would happen then? What? How are their stories different from ours? How do they see music or how do they see creativity is different from ours. So the next clip we're going to hear is actually one of my favorites. A good friend of mine that I knew while I was at Rice. Uh, she is a violinist and so much more than that. Uh, her name is Ling Ling Huang. And this is from episode 48. And uh, we were talking about her. Uh, you know, we featured some of her performances of new music. Um, I think uh, one piece was uh, Ratsavara. Uh, yeah. And the other piece was one of my uh, former professors, Shihui Chen. And then we got to talking about her as a creative writer, which was really fun because she writes or I don't know if she does anymore. At least at that point she did. She mm-hmm. would post on Facebook these haikus and they were freaking hilarious. And <laughs> nice. we, uh, you know, we we share some of them in this clip and it just kind of represents, you know, all of these episodes that I did with kind of non-composers. And those could be either performers or uh, with which Ling Ling falls into. But also, mm-hmm. you know, check out these other episodes uh, with Lydia Hance, who's a choreographer, Maria Murphy, who's a musicologist, Misha Penton, uh, Megan Enan, Tammy Evans-Yance, Noah Evan, you know, all performers. But, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at music through slight, a slightly different lens. And I think that's kind of interesting. Yes. So again, this is Ling Ling Huang from episode 48 discussing her haikus. Let's talk about you as a writer now. Okay. So writing seems to be a huge part of your life. You know, you have your blog called Ling Things, which is a great name yeah. for a website. Um, oh, good. And, and your website is linglinghuang.com. Yes. And it your blog kind of features all different kinds of writing, you know, kind of long form journal, po- lo- uh, longer poetry. And then you also do, do you post any of your haikus on your blog or is that just strictly Facebook? I don't actually. I don't. Oh man. So if you're not friends with Ling Ling, you are not going to have any of the joy of her like pretty much daily haikus. Yeah. <laughs> so why did you, you know, why did you start writing and sharing? Oh, um, you know, I realized when I was little, it, it was um, something all of my friends did. We we had Zangas and MySpaces. Oh, my God. I had a Zanga. Yeah, yeah. I know. I had, yeah, I had so many Zangas in my day. And I, I just remember loving that. And I think it was really important for me to have that outlet. I, with social media and stuff starting up, I, I didn't 
I wasn't like very active until I started the haikus, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was I I posted a couple haikus when I was in Cleveland, and um, and then I think oh I was walking to school, and um, uh, walking to school at Rice, and I was trying to eat dumplings on the way because it was um, I had orchestra and I was starving. Uh-huh. And um, there was all this, like, exhaust from the cars that were passing by. So I wrote a haiku about smog-covered dumplings. And um, I had taken a couple classes where haiku featured prominently, which is why I just decided to, I think. I took um, mysticism in literature, so I studied Japanese traditional haiku. And then I took a beatlet class also. So mm. like, you know, Kerouac, Ginsburg, all those yeah. kids and their kind of American take on the haiku. So I just, I had a lot of them on my mind all the time. And they're really f- just so fun. Some of the ones that I've read by Basho are just like ridiculous because it'll be something so gorgeous. Like, the moon is beautiful tonight. My wife is mad at me. Like the the turn is just um so hilariously um you know like the the nature and the domestic and um I just I like the mischief that I I saw in a lot of the traditional haikus. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought it'd be fun. And then a, f- a few year I think a couple years later um, my roommate at Aspen, and she was she's one of my best friends still now. She um she and her roommate uh, lived in Chicago while I was at Rice, and they got really drunk one night and were Facebook stalking me, <laughs> and found them. And I get this like really long voicemail the next day of them being drunk, just being like, "Why did you stop? You didn't <laughs> so so I started writing them daily for her but just posting them on facebook and Uh that's how it started yeah yeah i want to i want to read a couple um because i think they're great um a lot of people meditate i listen to beyonce same thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) that one's true (laughs) yeah no it is um and then I mean the the I think the really cool thing is that when you post they're they're just these little like pearls, you know? They are Aww. they perfectly encapsulate an experience and it's not, you know, it's not some long rant. It's it's they they truly get to the S- I I mean as an outsider, you know, just reading them on Facebook and like fa- like Facebook stalking you essentially, you know, like, yeah, like that's, that's what they feel like, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, another one that, uh, seems particularly relevant is, right now is only when you still your mind's waters, will you get a clear reflection? That reminds me of John Cage actually. Oh yeah. Cause he had the, um, uh music and i'm paraphrasing right now but uh and he was he was um he was either quoting or he was just talking about an experience he had with a philosopher thinker that the purpose of music is to sober and quiet the mind wow yeah 
It's a good one. <laughs> he probably didn't go clubbing. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see Kate in a club, though. That would be amazing. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, l- let me let me read a couple more haikus. Where's the Disney song? Someday my career will come because I earned it. <laughs> I read that a couple of weeks ago and I was just like, oh, my God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, man. We've we've basically come to the end. Yeah, and you know, b- before I know we're we're not really going to introduce the last clip, right? I think <laughs> just a little, just a little. I, well, well, because I, I think a lot of it speaks for itself, but it really does. <laughs> but um, I I have to say there there have been so many just just really fantastic moments and insights uh uh through this podcast uh, uh of which you've done the certainly the lion's share of the work in terms of the recording and the editing and all this other stuff um so from the bottom of my heart uh thank you rob mcclure uh, for for your your service to the collective and and the greater new music community um so so that that being said I also, you know, w- w- there's a number of clips that um, that uh, several of the collective members kind of uh, threw out there for us to incorporate in this hundredth episode, but of course we we couldn't possibly do them all. Um, yeah. So that being said, feel free to go to the website or go to the SoundCloud page or you know the the uh, iTunes stream and just start from episode 1 and saunter on through uh cuz there really are quite a few gems of uh, uh uh composers or creative artists thoughts about everything it it's you know it really covers the gamut <laughs> and for the listeners if you had a favorite uh moment that we didn't talk about share it with us we would yes, i mean I, we would love to hear what like what tickles your fancy and you know leave a comment leave a review uh, on on the iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or whatever, just let us know like what about this podcast you like because you know we we love doing it and it seems like you know we're we're gonna make some more. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah just <laughs> perhaps a few. <laughs> it's very open ended. We're not saying we'll get to two hundred, <laughs> but we aren't not saying it either. <laughs> As long as there's composers and creative people to interview, I think we can get there. I love it. And there's more drinks to drink. So <gasps> I not... could find all the bad beer. All the bad beers. <laughs> <laughs> we you will teach a generation of podcast <laughs> listeners about what not to drink. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh it's been fun uh reviewing the you know the first hundred uh with you and uh, we will end on perhaps one of my one of my favorite moments of the podcast in general, and certainly the best ending of a podcast we ever did <laughs> that I had very little to do with. Uh, this is from episode thirty eight uh, with Kristen Custer and Andrea Rinkemeyer was uh, in her house with her. 
and uh, the two oh, of I them. Didn't realize they were. I, I didn't realize they were together. I thought they were separate stuff. No, they were together. No, no, they were oh. sitting right next to each other. That's that's nice. kind of why Andrea just d- just joined it. Andrea was like, "Can we just make this kind of like a solo slash over drinks?" And uh, <laughs> we did, and nice. you'll nice. you'll see the result of that in uh, in just a minute. So, thanks for listening. We're glad you made it with us this far, and we're uh, excited to bring you more stuff in the future. So here it is. Here's the ending of episode 38 with Kristen Custer. Okay. Well, uh, Andrea, any any final words about about Kristen here? I love this woman. She's the best. <laughs> Could meet a kinder person. No. Who is You're also kinder. a wonderful, kinder. wonderful, delightful composer. You're more delightful oh. and better. Let's let's <laughs> let's have a fight. You want to fight? <laughs> we had a we had a pretend fight <laughs> earlier fuck today. You. <laughs> What are you talking about? Fucking bitch. Get out of my fucking house. Don't chime in, trumpet player. You tone it down. Oh my God. The trumpet player is going to sing. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.